Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment and followed it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. There's so many stories, some good, some bad, actually a lot bad, based in the paranormal universe. Several good ones have been winners published in the Writers of the Future anthologies, while ghost stories, stories of the occult, and stories of unexplained phenomena abound. What are qualities that make them work, make them stand out? This week's guests deal with the paranormal as professionals, and I've asked them to join me on the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. We met when we were all co-hosting the Science and Beyond show with Joe Montaldo, and we immediately became great friends. Michelle DeRocher has been a professionally and actively researching the unexplained with her area of study focused primarily on malevolent hauntings and potential non-human attachment or infestation. She's considered one of North America's leading researchers and is highly versed in many subject matters within her field, including UFO studies, cryptozoology, folklore, and legends. Amelia Pisano is nicknamed the Psychic in Stilettos, I love that, <laughs> who has worked many cold cases, active missing children's cases, and active murder cases, helping law enforcement, families, and individuals find their missing and loved ones. Amelia is also currently working as the remote viewer medium for Canada's Most Haunted. Michelle and Amelia co-produce the very popular radio show, The Outer Rome. Welcome, Michelle and Amelia. Thank you so much Thank for having you. us. Thank, Thank you. you. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. <laughs> yeah, this is great because we've never done, we've never addressed this in, in the uh, Writers of the Future podcast. And I always try to do something a little bit different that gives more insight on how to, to do different types of stories. I've done, um, we've had people with the Westerns because there's a lot of science fiction Western. I've had um, the person that teaches the master's program at Johns Hopkins University about biotechnology, because there's a lot of stuff that was science fiction. But in science fiction, and more appropriately, fantasy, there's so much that gets done with the uh, paranormal that when this opportunity came up, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. So I'm so happy you both agreed <laughs> to be on, on, on my podcast. So I guess, first of all, and you can both answer, I know you, since you're both Canadian, you're going to be very polite and not talking over each other, which is awesome. Um, how'd you, how'd you both get involved with paranormal? Um, well, for myself, I, you know, I've had abilities. I think most of my life, I remember having many experiences as a child, which is pretty common, but, uh, I professionally got into it in 2004 and it's been going steady since then. So it's, it sort of came to me, let's just say, and, I guess when your calling comes, it comes and you just either embrace it or you just walk away. I chose to embrace it. That's great, Michelle. And what about you, Amelia? Um, I come from a line of um, mediums and psychics and from my mother's side. Actually, my great-grandmother was a, a holistic healer, but she I've told this story before. She um, was shunned by the Catholic Church because of her methods and looked at as a witch. So that was something that we didn't talk about and uh, wasn't taken very lightly when I came out of the closet, so to speak. Um, I've always had these abilities. I've always been told to keep them to myself and um, in many experiences over my lifetime. But in 2011, I had a surgery that later ended up with three NDEs and that just caused it to just stay very, very 
you know, right in front of me and, and constantly tapping on me and saying, we have to do this kind of thing. It was like a door opened and, you know, everything just rained in on me. But um, since then, I started just by looking up on the internet to understand my abilities a little bit more because I didn't have anyone to to guide me because my mother didn't want to even talk about it. And we had a family member who was abducted when he was 12 and he was murdered. And that was the reason why I went into working cold cases and missing children was because I felt like I had these abilities and I didn't do anything with them. And that was my goal was to honor Christopher. Wow, that's that's very, very nice. So on the, um, I guess what we're doing here on this is because the people listening to this are aspiring writers and artists, um, you know, there's books that do it right and books that don't do it right. And sometimes the books people more associate with the movies. So um, any books or movies that you found that deal with these subjects better than others or movies if it's not the books? Either one. Um, I always let Michelle go first. (laughs) See, we're so polite. We don't even know when we're supposed to talk. Um, (laughs) um, It's difficult for me because I've been doing film and television and radio and been doing print for 18 years. So I've turned down as much as I've done. I've got probably four pages of media credits to my name and it comes to the point that this is this is a, an industry that's very difficult because it's it's it is not easy to be credible in this field. Mm-hmm. You know, there when you're looking at television, there's a lot of well, this is the platform that we want to use. This is how it has to be. Everybody sticks to it. All the TV shows stick to this one criteria, and nobody is afraid or nobody wants to move from that criteria. Right. This is it. Um, so you really have to look at what sells i think the movie that inspired many people would have been the exorcist which many people don't realize was based on a true story and it was of a young boy so you know and again it's all theatrical the head spinning things are going on and just like good grief you know scared people to the point where they were throwing up in the aisles at the theater when it was first released when realistically the story is horrific as it was you know, exorcism took place, I believe it was like something like over eight weeks where they would do it, like, let's say a couple of hours a day through the rituals. And he stayed in the hospital wing um, that was, you know, Catholic church. And and he's then the priests were always there. And like, it's not what you see. But I think that movie got things started for a lot of people. And then came Amityville Horror. Yeah. The exorcism of Emily Rose. Like there was always something to just keep amplifying. For me anyway. Yeah. And you, Amelia? Um, Thank you. For me, I would have to say, because I didn't get into this side of the paranormal until I actually met Michelle, which was hilarious. If I could take a minute to tell that story, there was actually an auction to spend a night with her and the money, not the night with her, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Like the evening with her. (laughs) And and the money from the money that I bid went to the Central Ontario Animal Rescue. So it was for a really great cause. When I saw that, and it's funny, you know how everything is synchronized, right? You're meant to yeah. meet certain people like us, you know, on Joel Montalvo's show with you and Emily. 
um, <laughs> I wasn't going to be on the internet for some reason. I opened up my Facebook and the newsfeed and there it was. And I'm like, oh, I remember I watch her on TV all the time. And I just loved her. And I remember the first time I saw her on television, my daughter was little and, and I was a stay at home mom. And I said, one day I'm going to meet her. I just know it, you know, that, that mm-hmm. knowing inside, it's part of what I do. And lo and behold, I cut everybody off at the knees and got her. (laughs) We became friends. And a couple months later, she asked me to join Canada's Most Haunted, which is her company, and work with her. So I started working with Michelle. And before that, I couldn't even get through a demonology course without, you know, wetting my pants, so to speak, because it was just so, so scary for me. But I, she's mentored me in this part of paranormal, and I've learned so much from her. Um, I can't see not doing it because of mm-hmm. the, the people that we help. But to answer your question for the film, it's really hard because we know a lot of people in this field who these films are based on. And when you know the real story and you're seeing the embellishment on the Hollywood end, it's really sad. But there's some, some films that, you know, the, um, like the Conjuring series um, regarding the Harrisville home, that they didn't even come close to what really happened because it would have been too, it would, they wouldn't have been able to, to give it an audience because it was just too much, too fearful for me, the most, I would have to say, because I had this discussion with Bishop James Long, the, for me, the most accurate film and book would be the right R I T E as Mm -hmm. in the Catholic, right. Um, All based on, it's a great film. Mm -hmm. It's a true story. It doesn't go far off from the real Thing. They don't embellish it a lot. Sir Anthony Hopkins plays the priest that mentors him. And you see the reality of exorcism is not over in a couple of days. It goes on for years. So you see the real side of what's happening and how normal these people really look day to day. So for me, that's the most accurate. And the, you know, they just really did it justice. And it's a great book as well. Oh, good. That's good to know because I want people. Yeah. Because I know Hollywood's got a reputation of embellishing or just taking it and going. Uh, they, I mean, even when it gets into the final clips, they'll survey and see, okay, which gets you the most reaction? And then they, that stays in. If it doesn't, then it gets cut out, whether it has anything to do with the real story or not. So Yeah. Exorcism of Emily Rose was pretty good. But, you know, a lot of embellishment because it became a story of a legal battle because that was told on, you know, the view of the priest. And the and the defense attorney. That's just so, a shame that it took away from the uh, took the away event from her itself. beautiful stigmata, you know, and what she was here to do. Right. So, so on um, now paranormal doesn't have to be horror, but like you you mentioned, you've got Amityville horror. There's Poltergeist, the Exorcist. They tend to push it in the direction of of the. Um, either the macabre or the something that's actually gruesome or is scary, but it doesn't have to be scary. I mean, the sixth sense is, was eerie, but it, to me, that wasn't a scary thing. It was just eerie. And it was an interesting the way it ended, you know, that little twist that like, whoa, sort of yes. like here, which we'll talk a bit later, you know, it's just, like you didn't see it coming. Maybe, <laughs> but I definitely didn't. No. But, um, <laughs> there's the fact that it's that um, so much of what is paranormal is, push more in the horror side? Does that give it a bad rap, the whole subject matter of paranormal? I, I think so. The paranormal is a very 
wide range of things. For me, the movie that best describes it is the movie The Others with Nicole Kidman. Probably one of the best films ever made with respects to um, giving you just that little bit of suspense, but making you think. You're dealing with, you know, a house of spirits. And you don't realize it at first. At first, you think you're just dealing with this mother at wartime, trying to protect her children. And you have these characters just sort of coming into the story. And you see how it's unfolding. In the end, you really don't see it coming. You're like, what? Yeah, (laughs) it's a great film. Realistically, it's the mother, in the end, comes around a table of seance. like uh, They're having a seance, trying to communicate with her. And they're basically saying, you know, like, she is the one who didn't get, she was dead. The children knew it. They were communicating with these paranormal researchers who kept coming to the house. And she thought she was haunted. So you think you're dealing with a family in a haunted house, but it was flipped. They were the spirits. Researchers are trying to draw them out. They had other spirits coming in to say, without being delicate with her, basically saying, look, you know this, this, you have to get going. Like it, it was just so well done. And many, many cases are just that they're very benign, but when you're looking at film, benign doesn't necessarily sell the same way as that fear factor. And like all the shows I've done, you know, there's only one word they're looking for and that's demon. I could answer the one question with six different answers to which I do. Okay, but it could also be this, right? Yes. <laughs> Can you just say it? All right. And it's always the one they use. And I'm thinking, you know, the whole world must think I run around screaming demon where I'm pretty much the other way. I'm really big into like, no, psychokinesis. You're stressed out. You're going through this. You're going through that. The role of paranormal researcher is doesn't have to be scary, but it does have to be respectful. You do have to be versed because you're dealing with people with different religious backgrounds, you know, maybe um, different mindsets. You know, you might be dealing with somebody with addictions or depression or anxiety, or you almost have to play counselor. There's a lot more to it. Right. That makes sense on that. And it's with respect to somebody writing stories, because a lot of the mm-hmm. ones I'm not really big myself on horror, although I because the number of guests that I've had, I've because I always like to read a book of, of any author so I can be more mm-hmm. familiar with them before I do the interview. So I've, I've, I've been reading more, but I don't like the slash and gash. I don't like the stuff where it's just the end is, is um, a dystopian ending. And I understand mm-hmm. the fact of, of evil. I mean, you don't need mm-hmm. to have paranormal to have evil. You know, sometimes the real life evil is just as bad, such as 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 the um, as paranormal. But for somebody writing a story now, there's um, you know, I guess there's a a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Just between both of you, from what you've experienced, it, and now we're talking about writing, because Hollywood script writing is it's its own league. It's its own. I don't want to call it a league. It's its own thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But on writing a short story or writing a novel, things that work and things that don't work uh, in your estimations. And then we're going to get into, you know, how a person can actually find out about stuff, too. So what, what do you think? What are some examples of things that have worked and things that have not worked and things that you have, have read or, or if we need to watch as well? Well, I'll let Amelia take this one because I took the oh, last one. That's okay. okay. Thank yeah. you, Michelle. Um, You know, for me, 
one of the most difficult um, things to watch, but it was a great story, a great film, because it was a true story. And it's Michelle's favorite film as well as The Entity. But because she was raped through this film, it was horrifying to sit through and watch. Violence, slashing, it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't do it for most people in the paranormal. They want to know the stories of the spiritual side. They want to know if there's something on the other side. It's not necessarily what's coming at you, you know, and slicing you up. Those slasher films are not, for me, are not paranormal. They're thrillers. They're they're violent. I, as an empath, I can't sit through them uh, personally. You know, I, I think an audience wants to wants to believe that there is life after death and that's what they're searching for they want the spirit connection that's why sixth sense did so well you know they want to know that this is everybody wants to feel like they have some ability some gift that gives them hope it teaches them how to open up their their um, third eye that's what people want they want to be able to see themselves in there and they want to learn for me anyways, I want to learn more about the spiritual world and I want to understand more about different world religions as well mm-hmm. because it helps you understand the paranormal. And Michelle has taught me that, you know, not everybody believes in demons. So how do you deal with a family that's being haunted or, you know, tormented, but their faith doesn't believe in demonic, then what? That's, that's why you call true. Michelle. <laughs> so, you know, in history. History is important. You can't understand. If I were writing a book, I would choose a location and I would delve into the history of that location because it would give you an idea of why is it haunted? Who was there? Who could be haunting it? You know, like you have to have that, that in for us in our field is how you set the stage. Yeah. What happened there? When we're researching an area, the first thing we want to do is learn about the history of that area. You want to look at the the geographics of it. You want to look like, is this house, for example, built on loads of, of quartz or limestone or anything that could amplify EMF? <clears throat> you have to understand the basic science of, of some of this. There really is more to it than that. Mm-hmm. But Again, yes, religious backgrounds, everything. You're dealing with the people. What matter the most when you're researching, if you're looking to help a family, is the people and what they're all about, as well as who the spirits could be. You just don't go in like a cowboy shooting up the place. You know, you got to get an understanding of it. Yeah. But the best way to always start is the location and what could make that location so significant. Maybe it's not the house that's haunted. Now you, made a, you made a comment, you used the term EMF, just so people that aren't familiar with that. Oh, uh, electromagnetic field, which can be caused by, you know, a, the, the circuit board in the house or, or the panel, the electrical panel, uh, you know, hydro wires. There's a lot more to it. Oh, yeah. So, water, yeah. Waterfalls. You know, it, and that's what's yeah. part, part of the equipment that you bring in is, you know, stuff that general contractors would use. It's not all, you know, fanfare and blinky lights. And a lot of it is really, exactly. It's not (laughs) like that proton pack and let's go, you know, Eugene Levy in my backpack and, (laughs) you know. There's your EMF meter and that's what electricians use. That's one of them. That's the K2 meter. If you live by an airport, you're going to have tons of EMF because the Mm -hmm. planes, that's how they ground them. Um, You do have to know a lot about that. And I think that writers should stick to the true story. Don't embellish it. The true story is often scary enough, you know, and be compassionate if you're dealing with a family. 
But if it's it's a start of fiction, just bear all that in mind. But it's all about location, history. Maybe it's not the house that's haunted. Maybe it's the person. Maybe it's the land. Like Mm -hmm. lots of different things to factor in. Like my house. I live on land that, you know, the War of 1812 was fought and the headquarters is maybe two kilometers away from my home. So it's very active. You ha- and I I just believe that when I moved here, because we built the house, I'm like, oh, it can't be haunted. No, yes, it can. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah but um, kind of like Poltergeist, they, they built the house on Indian burial ground. You know, that's another series that didn't, didn't do the whole poltergeist thing justice for me anyways. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because part of preparing for this thing, I went through a, a book. I didn't read a page, but I went through a lot of it. Mysteries of the World, Unexplained Wonders and Mysterious Phenomena by Herbert um, Gens, was it Gensme and Ulrich Pellenbrand. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it, it covered a lot of really fascinating subjects. And um, it has a whole section on cryptozoology and um, you know the nano spirals, um, which you know that's been discussed a lot in terms of is that proof of earlier life visiting uh, Earth, um, and then the pyramids, Stonehenge. There's lots of different things that that it gets into, and it's, I think it's very fascinating. And with the rush of of uh, science for the last however couple hundred years trying to explain it away and, and justify it in things because they don't know anything else, they try to keep it with what I can see and touch and feel right now. Um, that's the only thing I can explain it. Um, I think that's, it makes it very open to a lot of, of interpretation. So do you get into that aspect as well with, with what you do and getting into the, I know Michelle it says on your, your um, in your bio it says you're called upon the media for paranormal consultations. You have a waiting load of one and a half years. What does that mean? One and a half years to talk to you? Mm-hmm. How's that work? <laughs> Yes, dang it. No. <laughs> um, no. Um, well, I consult on a lot of, I have for years on um, TV shows because they basically want to know, okay, so I, I've, I've worked on some from start to finish. How do you, you know, get the concept? How do you bring the concept through? Um, I mean, I know just in 2019 alone, I literally just with the, the cases that I had accumulated, um, I filled three TV series for the whole for that whole season for that one year. Like that's just how many people, you know, um, will will come and will want to talk about it. But um, I think when it comes to you know communicating with me, it's a little bit better now because everything's done remotely. You know, Amelia and I can tackle things. We prioritize children first. If children or animals are being tormented, the elderly. So in other words, if you're playing with a Ouija board and you're inviting something in or any form of communication, well, you might have to get bumped to the back of the bus until the people who, <laughs> who, who didn't go asking for it, you know, don't have to wait. That's really how it works. Yeah. Not that we don't get to it. At the time, you know, um, for me to go in in person and it would still be the same. If I had to go in in person, you're going to wait. So yeah, you would be waiting at least a year and a half because you know I'm not world traveling at the moment yeah. and have no plans to do so anytime soon. But again, it's not just saying, okay, here's the case, bam, we're doing it. Um, it's pretty ongoing. I deal with people every single day. 
whether by email, um, telephone, not so much now with email, um, you know, all of the social media, just trying to work with people in their mindset, trying to calm them down, trying to answer questions. No, this doesn't mean this. This doesn't mean that. It could be this. It could be that. You know, it's an ongoing thing every day. I get it. And then Amelia, uh, as a remote viewer, because I'm familiar with Ingo Swan, and we talked about that quite a bit with Jim Mars, you know, about the whole, the U.S. Um, intelligence programs that were mm -hmm. done with uh, remote viewing. Um, and this is something that, how does that fit in with what you do on, on dealing with the cases that you work with? Well, remote viewing, I didn't even know I was doing it. It's a natural gift for me. I had no clue until I started working with a team of um, psychics, mediums, and remote viewers to find missing children. And I had no idea that was what I was doing. Nobody ever told me. So it comes naturally for me. I don't do it the way military uses it. Um, for me, my mediumship is what guides me, you know, and I work alongside Michelle. So she keeps me grounded and safe because it is, you are opening one heck of a door mm -hmm. when you remote view as a medium. Can you um, explain that for people that aren't familiar with what remote viewing is? Remote viewing is when you're, you, I literally take myself and put myself in a different place. And then I scan everything left to right. So I start looking to see what's, uh, that's why crime scenes for me are, are so, they come more naturally and, and easier for me because of the way that I, I view, you know, as a medium, I will take things and go left to right in a room. I will look out a window, see what time of year it is just by looking outside, looking for the weather, looking, I could read clocks. I could read um, license plates, you know, photographs, family photographs. Where is she? What is this? Or where is he? What is this place? You know, is it a home? Is it a business? And I look and I walk myself through the place that, you know, I say, okay, I need to be here, say mm -hmm. at this person's home, or I'm drawn to this location because I can pick up on the child's energy. And I automatically, I don't even know how to explain it. I'm just there, right? you know, energetically, mm -hmm. I'm just there. And it's so important. Um, evidential mediumship means exactly that. Everything, evidentially, you're picking up minute details that to law enforcement or to Michelle will will piece together the story. You're just a part of the puzzle. You're giving the pieces mm -hmm. and then someone else puts it together, whether it's detectives or Michelle, because I don't have anything to do with the families on either part, whether it's missing children or malevolent hauntings. I just work from behind the scenes, but it. it is very different. I'm not working with numbers. I'm not working with maps. Well, I do work with maps for some things, but not with numbers, not longitude, latitude. I don't, I don't write anything out. I just go there. I get it. So, what's been like your most, like some of your most interesting cases? Uh, I without naming names. Yeah. Um, because of the ND, the uh, yeah, NDA signed. That's expected. That would be. Yes. Um, the big, the big, big, big cases with the younger children um it amazes me at how much money has influence on law and justice that's something that i i saw very clearly um it's sad it it, it it's heartbreaking it's sometimes you have to take a break from it because it's so hard mm -hmm. but the cases i'm amazed at how easily children come to me and speak to me and tell me what's happened 
I, I still can't get over that connection. And sometimes I don't have the connection as someone else does. And I think what's most important is you have to know and step back because it has to be what's best for the victim and the family. Right. It can't be, you can't have ego here on either side of this. You cannot have ego. You have to step back. If I can't do it within the first day, I pass it along to someone else or I ask them if I can. And I try to find someone who can connect because sometimes spirit connects better with someone else where I have no trouble connecting with children for some reason. I always have. So it's, I don't know, like I just, it breaks my heart to see all of what's going on in it. And it, it's the one big case. I don't want to say it because I don't want to say her name because it's a huge case in the U.S. What bothered me the most was, again, the, the influential family and how things were hidden and still are. And I pray that that one case gets the justice that she deserves soon. So you, it was a case that you solved, but because of the nature of it, nothing could happen? Nothing could happen because of the money influence. Right now, I'm still working on a case, which this one I can give you the name of, is Mindy Lee, because we really do need the attention on Mindy Lee. Mindy Lee was murdered when she was 33 years old, 11 years ago, Thanksgiving weekend. And, uh, her daughter was left in her truck. It was by someone who she knew, and it was covered up by the Woodland Park Police Department in Colorado. Now, the um, officer who investigated is being investigated. He's no longer with the police department, and we're trying to have her body exhumed. There were cover-ups everywhere from how she was killed, when her body was found, and all the way to the autopsy the way it was done. The funeral home didn't keep paperwork. As far as I know, that's against the law. Um, the embalming, there was all like it was covered up so that we couldn't get the evidence off of her. You know, they lied and said she died of hypothermia. Her body wasn't even there hours before or days before. They found her a few days later. She, she had red pants. You can't miss that in the snow. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, a lot of corruption in that case. And we're working really hard to have her body exhumed. And I've become friends with her mom, Vicki White, who is boots on the ground for any child that goes missing. And uh, she's raising her beautiful granddaughters and has her first great grandchild, which wow. Mindy would have been a grandma right now. So yeah, it's it's um, heartwarming that she took, I'm so impressed by Vicki because she took this tragedy and turned her energy and her focus around to help others. That's what impresses me most. Yeah. So now, which which is amazing, and that's and that's a good story. Now, for someone who's a writer who wants to be able to like address this area, like I said, of of paranormal, how do you go about getting getting it correct? Because sometimes you can sit down. Well, this is how they did it in this movie, and this is how they did it in this my favorite TV show, and. And they're going to go off in some weird tangents, which is which may or may not touch upon the, the reality of it. How could a person actually properly research it to get it right? Do you want that um, one, Michelle? I would say, you know, they have to decide on where, for example, they want to set their story. Um, I think one of the most, I mean, I've had some phenomenal, phenomenal cases through the years. Mind-blowing, really. But I think one of the most memorable, fun places for me is Hoyabachu Forest, which is the most haunted forest in the world in Romania. So let's just say 
okay, your writer's like, okay, I'm going to set the scene and I'm going to make it in this place. I can comment because I've been there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot to do with this place. The history is vast. Not only can you find most of the information online, but you can speak to the locals. The locals near this area are very, very open to talking about it. Some of them will warn you, oh, don't go up in there. Others will be just like, oh yeah, you'll, you'll be fine. You know, but people in that area, you know, catch UFOs, for example, over the top of the mountain all the time. If you go in there, the trees are all bent out of shape and it's, it's insane. There's no animals, like at least not near this circle that has all the commotion. Um, there's a, a bit of a droning or humming sound in the background. You don't see anything in the vicinity of the circle. No squirrels, no birds. You'll see insects. You know, nothing really grows in the circle aside from grass or weeds, but there are no trees there. And it's perfectly round. You know, it's, it, it's said to be Romania's Bermuda Triangle. So there's a lot of in the history as to the why it was named the Hoyabatsu Forest, you know, due to the, the shepherd and his hundred sheep that went missing. Like, you know, 16,000 years ago, there were people who lived up there. Like, you really have to dig. The history will set the stage for the story because you can take your character and easily drop it into this place with a multitude of different scenarios. Yeah. So this is an example. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. So um, that actually helps a lot because I know that people are always asking, okay, what about how do I do this? How do I do that? And a lot of people come to the forum as well for Rise of Future for advice. And this is going to be something that nobody's got, you know, this type of expertise to be able to lend uh, to aspiring, aspiring writers. Now, I asked, I had asked Amelia, but now I ask you, what's, what's been your, um, most interesting or some of your most interesting cases? Well, um, I could probably think of two right off the bat. Uh, One was in a place um, in the western part of the province. And the location was an old Edwardian three-story house. And it was just infested with things. It went on. The original family had so much trauma there, which led us to think, no, this is very land-based. You know, all the members of the family, for most part, um, either was met in death. Um, you know, they lost like three of their children. Two was a crib death. Two was they'd been pushed down the stairs. Um, there was a widow's walk there to which the wife had been pushed off. Um, you know, the husband was allegedly found hanging. Like, it's crazy things. And I would go to investigate it because we we had filmed there. The first day we went to film there was for ET Canada at the time. And it was like noon during the day. There's, see, there's a big thing right there, writers. If you're haunted, you're haunted. It's 24-7. It doesn't have to be at night. That's a big one. Yeah. You know, a lot of researchers are like, why is it always just at night? You know, so you can see the flashy lights a little bit better. You know? and, and the, <laughs> it sets the tone. <laughs> yeah, good for effects. But, but, you know, we walked in there. There was no power on. Um, there was, I said, she goes, do you want us to, it was winterized for the winter, big mansion. I says, no, don't just leave the power off. It's not a big deal. We'll manage. I don't care about the heat. You know, it was just testing the theory that when it's colder and drier, it's just a little easier to, for things to manifest. And, and it really was. So they had a power system in there that, um, was for, you know, um, stereo because it worked as a restaurant at one point. 
everything was unplugged, everything was winterized. And we got there and all of a sudden, all the music in the place went on. And, and the homeowner looked at me holding the plug and went, and I mean, this is like noon. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I had to watch him break into the one side of the house where this whole giant stereo system was in this big cabinet. You know, um, we walked up, like I always do what I call a walkabout, check the place out first. And then when we went up there with the ET crew, one being the bathroom, which was perfectly normal a half hour before, had water all over it, the walls, the ceilings. She goes, the water's turned off because the house is winterized. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> um, and the thing that got me is, you know, my sister came along to help on that that investigation because she's like, oh, yeah, E.T., I want to do E.T. I'm like, all right, whatever. Here, just <laughs> hold this and stand there. Make it look like you know what you're doing. But what was interesting is I was, I was in another room being interviewed separately. And when I came back, we had a camera guy there. Um, they had a bunch of, you know, their people standing there they were staring at a giant flat screen tv that was unplugged and an entity which best would be described as this little golem type thing you know who's all hunched over this little reptilian looking dude and he's he crouched through he came across the screen stopped like this and went and looked at everybody and everybody i i walked into a room of people going and i'm like what i miss you know, <laughs> and they're like, this thing happened. And that was it. And all of the equipment had gone down. Nobody captured it. But there were seven people in there who saw the incident. Wow. Things would follow me home from there. The house used to call me. Oh. I've got like, I've probably got like 100 hours of stuff just from this house. You could pick up the phone and I'm hearing all this growling on the end of the phone. It's like, all right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So I think that's probably the most memorable. I should say so. I was probably the only one having a good time, though. I don't think anybody else was. <laughs> the worst feeling is the first time you hear one of them call your name. Yes, that's hard. <laughs> that is the worst feeling. That's hard. And you never forget that first time. You honestly don't forget it. So how's yeah. that going then? Clarify that, but please. Where you'll hear a, a, a demonic call your name whether it's an investigation or, or whatever, if you even on the phone or we've done sessions together that you'll just hear in a growly voice, them call your name. I've got a lot of recordings of that. My wow. name has been tossed around quite a few times. And the first time it does, it puts a oh, sinking feeling in your stomach. Yeah. The house I was just talking about, she was on the phone with me one day and she goes, I just have to go drop this letter in the post. The postman's coming up the walk. I said, okay. I heard her put the phone down. Then I heard all the dogs go crazy. And I heard her go down the stairs. So I knew there was no one else in the house. Something picked up the phone, started this raspy, growly, like this. I'm going, I had never heard anything come through a phone before that. Even though I've been at this a few years at this point, I never heard anything like it. And basically said my name, called me a couple of, unmentionable for radio names i was so mortified the best i could come up with was like oh, you're a potty mouth that's the best i could freaking do it was potty mouth seriously you after that i'm like that's the best that, i can right? do in this moment of <laughs> yeah i that changed as we went along but it was yeah. just like all right Very that's much. what it's gonna be yeah yeah it was great <laughs> 
We're not one of my finer moments. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's not. Yeah. No one wants that first time with that. <laughs> no, no one wants that. No. It's, it's chilling. Um, I know for me, it was during a session and my name came out loud and clear and very, uh, it just terrified me. And I had to drive home from Michelle's house, which is just under an hour away. And it was well after midnight. I was just freaking I'm like, this is, and this is a haunted house too. This is in her home is haunted, which I'm comfortable in your home though. But this, I was so concerned, even though I trust Michelle with my life, hearing that the first time I was so concerned about whether or not I would make it home safe or if it would, you know, there's, there's times where they've, um, these malevolent entities have been known to cause car accidents and deaths after interacting with you. So that was a big fear for me. Another time we did an investigation just up the street from my house and I'm texting Michelle and calling her saying, there's something in the garage with me. I can't go in my house because this thing came home with me and all the way home was trying to distract me while I was driving. And thankfully, it was only 15 minutes. But when I got home, I knew better than to come into the house to bring this to my family. Right. They do so come in. They do follow. They will. They will. They attach themselves. So there's there's been quite a few people. I think it would be nice to see a writer put this in their book about how it affects the people that are helping them. And their you families. Know? Yeah. And their yeah. families. I mean, Michelle's had horrific experiences. Things following, yeah. Wow. Now, do you ever get into the other things like I mentioned, like the cryptozoology or mm-hmm. the pyramids, Stonehenge? How does how does that affect you? How do you how do you um, work with that? Oh, pyramids are great. I was in the pyramids um, many moons ago now, but i i wasn't I wasn't in the field at the time I had my experience there, so I went down. Into, I went into the pyramid and, of course, you know, just kind of got to speaking with one of the guards. I don't want to say at the time that, you know, here's 20 bucks kind of thing. And it's like, okay, here, <laughs> here's access that nobody else gets. Thank you. So I took said access, <laughs> spent said 20 Egyptian dollars, which is like a month's pay or a month's rent for a lot of people at that time. So anyway, um, I, I went down on my belly into this this chamber like came up popped my head up and there was a spirit man there and that was an eye awakening experience for for well many reasons because i come out in this place and there's somebody staring at me i'm just like i'm gonna die down here you know and no one's gonna know i'm here because i just paid my way into this little creepy place and you can't run back out (laughs) you can't you had to i had to crawl out on my belly so but i looked at him and I'm, and I, he's looking at me like how I'm dressed, and I'm looking at him going, I'm like this, I'm like, huh? <laughs> look at you, look at me. What's wrong with this picture? One of us doesn't belong here. I'm trying to explain to him that he's deceased, and he basically looked at me and said, "No, you're dead." First, it was a language I couldn't understand, and I went English, please, because you know, which kind of lends to the theory that there isn't a language barrier. And he went, "You're dead," and I thought about it, went, maybe. Maybe it's all reverse. I don't know. I'm like, all right. And I just went back up, had a look around. It was just a small, a small burial chamber that was unused. And went back up and thinking, okay. But the energy of these places, I've been through many of these places, types of places, you know, in my my travels throughout the world. And um, 
power spots, as we call them, old temples. You know, when I travel through Greece, the old temples are everywhere. In fact, a lot of a lot of these the the churches built over top of these temples because it has to do with energy. They are powerful places where things can easily manifest. It can affect you. It can affect, you know, spirit activity is usually people go there and have amazing experiences because it's so it's so strong. Wow. It's interesting, just as, as a side point on this, in, in a series of, of books that Owen Hubbard wrote called Mission Earth, he actually makes a comment, because there's a lot of stuff in there, and, and people that are scientists, uh, engineers, have found a lot of stuff in his books that they've been able to take to heart. But one of the comments he makes about the pyramids is that um, they little microscopic black holes are put in there, and that's an amazing power source. They use that for harnessing the power of the black holes inside these pyramids and that's what is so it's powerful and that's the bermuda triangle where it's where it sank is is one of those uh instances where it's a uh, black hole there was there's a sunken pyramid there so it's just wow. interesting how he talks about that just the whole subject matter which he addresses considerably in, in a lot of his other writings too just what would be considered to be paranormal um but the actual fact just what happens when you have spiritual beings metaphysical it's just yeah. Yeah, there you go, metaphysical. Yeah. yeah. But um, anyway, that's that's um, that's fascinating, that story you said there on, on the pyramid. So then, so you do that, and then have you have you been to like Stonehenge or tried to deal with Loch Ness or Yeti or Bigfoot or, because you're up there in Canada, the Great White North, I mean, come on. You guys got more Bigfoot than we do. We're not <laughs> we that mind. Great White North. We're very Great <laughs> South. I'm sure Joe's got one in the swamp. He's got the skunk ape down there in the, in yeah. the swamp near his place. But um, no, I haven't been to Stonehenge. It's actually not that easy to get close to anymore. Um, I have visited other power spots um, and temples. Um, you know, South of France is like loaded with them. Most people will, can walk up to it and, and not even know it. Others might be just having phenomenal experiences and they wouldn't necessarily attribute it as to why they're experiencing that mm -hmm. um, but getting into cryptids <clears throat> we do have a lot you know up here of course i think bigfoot is the most common i've been given stories from you know clients forever about it have i had a personal experience with one not that i know of but when i think back you know i have been i, I have been on hikes where i've heard like tree tapping and you know different sounds and We've had people on our own show recently who studied this exclusively, who played recordings. And when I hear mm -hmm. these recordings, I'm like, I am like almost pretty darn sure I may have heard one or two of these sounds, but you wouldn't attribute these sounds to these large primate type beings. It's almost like a siren in the woods, beautiful sounds. I'm like, like this is actually a beautiful sound, mm -hmm. you know? So I think people have experiences that they don't realize they're having. And for me, I'm thinking I was one of those people when it comes to Bigfoot. I get it. And what about yourself, Amelia? I've never had any of those experiences. Uh, you won't find me in a forest. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm the girl on the beach with the cocktail. Um, <laughs> I have. There I have sea um, creatures. <laughs> yes, there are. And I do snorkel and I do. Yeah, I dive in that. But. <laughs> Um, I love the water. I think it has a lot to do with being Pisces and being a medium. It, it's very cleansing. But um, I've had experiences in places where I never thought I would, but never cryptid. Always old churches. The older the church, 
the older the country, you're always going to experience something. You may not realize it, but you will. You will. Mm -hmm. There's just too much energy left behind not to. What about like the castles in Transylvania? That, that, now that you talk about old and that's yeah. how, so how does, how does that fit in with this whole subject matter? Amazingly well. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing better than Been setting there. this stage for a story at an old bloody castle. And they're all haunted. For people to say, oh, there's nothing here. Never mind. Whether it's residual, just leftover trapped energy, whether there are spirits there in visitation or whether they're grounded, people don't understand that stone itself mm. absorbs energy of every type, you know, and, and they have different sounds themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a place in the U.S., I can't even remember the name off the top of my head, but they're called the Singing Stones, and you can tap them, and it's, mm -hmm. they're musical. They're like, they do, they do amazing things with energy. So, of course, over, you know, thousands of years or hundreds of years, that's going to absorb all kinds of stuff. And it's not uncommon when you're dealing with any place that is that old and has seen that much history that you're not going to end up with some kind of a specter somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, Transylvania is just like, I'm, I, I think I visited probably four, four different castles there and they're all set to be active and you walk in and you just start buzzing and it's like, oh yeah. You know, one of them, the, the people had broken in at one point or an employee let them in to do satanic rituals. Mm. So you walk in that area, you're just like, oh, you know what's around the corner and it's yeah. just like man so yes perfect place to set this the scene for a story That's and a possibilities are endless especially in transylvania and <laughs> you just hit home for her and that's a great point that you made about how they let someone come in and do satanic yeah. rituals you don't realize how much energy is left behind just by tourists you know, the yes, fear that that's created when they go through, they leave that imprint. So it just keeps feeding and feeding and going and going. So the more you visit these places, the more mm -hmm. active they're going to be, but not necessarily from the former residents could just be energy that's that true. was left behind. Exactly. That's also a good point. So these are castles with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years of, of energy and war and, and deceit and, you know, people who could afford to live in here. Mm -hmm. And these places have stories to tell, and they're usually back in those days, not necessarily kind. They're always under siege or trying to be under siege. You know, you have servants, you have just torture, you have, you go into some of the torture chambers in these locations. That's true. And That's you, true. you walk out here just thinking, oh my gosh, it drains you mm -hmm. because you just feel it all. Yeah. Wow. So... Before we did this this show, I sent you both a copy of, of a, a book that Owen Hubbard wrote called Fear, which was mm -hmm. in 1940. And it's been hailed by like Ray Bradbury, deeply influenced me when I was 20 years old, landmark novel in my life, A True Scare. He actually wrote a screenplay uh, for it that he acted out as a play. And Stephen King called this is one of the really, really good ones. Uh, Robert Blocker wrote Psycho, said that Fear is Owen Hubbard's finest work. Isaac Asimov, of all Owen's stories, this is my favorite. So you did the audiobook, which was, we like to do that because it's like a radio theater format that were, where it was written. So that definitely gets into the, the paranormal as well. What do you think of that story? It's not what I thought. Let me tell you, I thought I'm like, yep, it had all the characteristics of what I would have deemed 
to fall under different categories of the paranormal. Then the missing time, I thought, okay, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, abduction, you know, maybe he's just delusional because he's got malaria. Maybe he's, you know, I, it fit in in so many different places. I don't want to ruin the ending because Emily hasn't made it that far. But when I got the ending, it's like, oh, <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> so it was like, that's the best though. That's just impressive. Out and wow, everything else came to that point. It was. Yeah, if Michelle was. didn't see it coming, that is really impressive. <laughs> just yeah, it's covering well stuff done. that we deal with, right? So yeah. Well done, sir. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yes. um it's a really, really good story. And it just it still yes. holds too. Even on surveys, it still stays as one of the top 10 psychological thrillers of all time. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a classic. It, it was it was good. I just after after going through that and thinking, I just need to get in this guy's head. I wish he was just still around so I could just just because I can't even <laughs> imagine now in this he wrote based on what was going on in his day and age. Yeah. This day and age, you've got people in the field who have discovered a whole lot of things. Even science talks about how it's figured out human essence and how it moves on after death. That like, I can't even imagine, you know, looking at the equipment and looking at all the shows out there, what he could produce knowing everything that is in this time and place. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely amazing. So I, I'm glad it, uh, um, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> oh, very much. Yeah, it threw me for a good one. I'm like, I needed, I should have had wine with that part. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had, it was I, really well done. It was I really well done. I heard the word demonology and I went, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, I, when, I haven't heard, I didn't when hear did that we, word we until, I didn't hear the word demonology until 2013. I'm like, yeah. what? This yeah. is 1940s. It's right? Like, right? That was a thing back then. <laughs> See, we learned something yeah. new too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. It was definitely a, a great story. Yes. So, so now on on um, advice that you you've been giving throughout this whole thing here, but um, we've got about five minutes left. Yes. So, in terms of, of what you would like, like what would be your ideal paranormal story story that you'd like to uh, to read, Amelia? For me, it would it would have to cover a little bit more than just what's happening inside when they cover these hauntings of a home, but what's happening to the investigators, what's happening to everyone outside of there. And like uh, to reiterate what Michelle said, the history of the property, get more in depth with the story other than just the occurrences. That would be prime for me and stay away from the slashing, honestly. And if it didn't happen, don't add it. The CGIs are just ridiculous nowadays. Yeah. And what about yourself, Michelle? Um, aside from what Amelia has mentioned, which is really big for me, because I am one of those researchers who have had things follow me home and affect those around me. Um, I like to see, you know, I'd like to see the humanity brought into it a little bit, just having the compassion for the spirit, depending on if you're dealing with a human spirit, showing compassion to the people as to how are you going to help those people, you know? But I want to feel like I am there with them. I want it descriptive enough to the point where not everything is left to the imagination. I want to feel like I'm a part of that story. 
And of course, the wow factor is all, at the end is always amazing, you know. But I, I think what makes a really good writer is making the reader feel like they are part of that story, that they're at least in the scene, really getting an idea of what they're all experiencing. If that person is fearful of what's going on in the house, I want to feel that fear. You know, I want to really be a part of the story. And some writers have an amazing knack for putting you there. You know, others, are not so much. But for me, that's important. Good. Yeah, that's something I think is um, very key. The, the suspense factor versus the slash and dash. Yes. Is what made fear Absolutely. so, so uh, um, trendsetting because up to that point, it had been heavily slash and gash. And mm -hmm. some people still do that. But mm -hmm. he went to the psychological thriller side, which can be much more impinging than knowing oh, yeah. that the guy's going to come with a knife and just, yes. you know, you get your little, <gasps> but it's the But then it's done. It's done. Whereas when then it's in your head there, it just, it, it can, it can percolate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what, what happens after it's done? You know, like I liked about fear was the fact that it started immediately. I mean, immediately. It wasn't this long drawn out. You're like, when are we going to get there? I don't have a whole day <laughs> to, you know, that's why when I messaged you, I said, yeah, right to it. And it went right to the end. I mean, it was pretty consistent and you were on, you know, you were feeling that suspense the whole way through. I thought it was really well done. I think that makes for an excellent book. Yeah. And that, the working title for that story was called Phantasmagoria when he was writing it. Wow. And then it got switched to, uh, to fear. He said that was a really hard one for him to, to write. It took a while to, really? to make it all fit. And he said it spent a couple of days doing it. And then when it actually went click, then he was able to just go boom, motor through it. Wow. I think well other done. writers should just read it if that's the field that they want to write in. That's the genre. They should just read his book. Yeah. yeah. Definitely good on that. So any last last um, tip or because this is a chance you're going to have a lot of people listening to you right now on the subject of paranormal, writing paranormal, researching paranormal. Anything that I've not asked that I should have that I wanted to make sure I said blah. Amelia? Uh -huh. <laughs> or Michelle, either Me? one. Yeah. yeah, you go first. Um, all I would say is that if you're writing about the paranormal, make sure that you don't speak to just one person. Make sure that you speak to different people who have different strengths in their fields of, of the paranormal. And, you know, whether it's studying the jinn or demonics, malevolent or astral projecting, whatever, make sure that you talk to everyone, not just one researcher speak to people who actually do the work as well good and michelle say what you mean mean what you say follow through don't make it about you and your alleged evidence make it about the people the location make it about <clears throat> even the spirits themselves you get to walk away they don't don't mess it up they're entrusting themselves to you so be diligent and govern yourself properly Amen. Wow. You yes. come across it a lot. That's why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little, little passionate. Sorry. <laughs> that definitely came across. I got that passion there. <laughs> well, this has been an amazing hour with you ladies. I so appreciate uh, you taking some time on this. And I hope everybody else is going to appreciate everything you've had to say, because I think it's very, very important, especially for a writer that wants to be able to address this, uh, this topic. Thank so, you. I'm always yeah. happy to talk to people. I've worked with other writers. Well, that's great. 
Well, and thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well by just typing in Writers of the Future. Again, I highly recommend you read the Writers of the Future series. These are, after all, who our judges have selected as the best of the best new writers and artists. They can be found at writersofthefuture.com, at Amazon, or wherever you get your books. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Michelle and Amelia. Thank, thank you. you for having us. It's a pleasure.